Sound good? Yes. All right, let's get into the word. I've got about three minutes. Because <laughs> <laughs> Pete wants to talk a lot. Yeah, we're just skimming to that. No, we're not skimming it. We're going to give the word the respect uh, that, it's, uh, that it's due. And we're up to uh, Romans chapter 6, actually. And we're actually touching a new section. So we're talking about experiencing grace. Who wants some of that? Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Uh, and so Romans chapter 6 is uh, basically a life or death situation. That's what it's addressing. Uh, so we're going to dive in straight in and just get into it today. And, and uh, Father God, we just pray your blessing on your word. Lord, um, touch my lips, uh, continue my voice to go, uh, even though it's a bit funny today, Lord, may it uh, uh, get through, and uh, Lord, bless uh, the listeners, bless my lips as I present, Father, we just thank you for your word, and we're just excited about what it does to us, it transforms us, as we said earlier, from the inside out, so may it pierce our hearts today in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, let's get started. So, uh, Romans chapter 6. Uh, it's addressing the topic of uh, justified by faith. And, and that can be a bit of um, <clears throat> Christianese uh, when you say it to someone who's not a believer. They're like, what does that mean? But it simply means that we are declared innocent by God through our faith in Jesus. That's what justified by faith means. We have faith in Jesus. Therefore, God declares us innocent because the price and penalty is paid by Jesus. So who's flown on airplanes? Probably most of us have been on a plane at some point in our life, maybe. Um, when you fly on a plane, you know how when you come into land at the airport, sometimes you've got to do like a few laps or spin arounds or whatever because the runway is not quite ready for your landing. Um, you guys might have experienced that coming up, I don't know. But sometimes you've got to just wait and give way to other, other planes coming in or whatever until the traffic control says, right, you're coming. For a landing. Well, at this point uh, in Romans, I feel like Paul is at that point where he's about to bring something into land. We've gone through chapters 1 to 5, and it's quite in detail about uh, all the things that we've covered, about the law, and grace, and sin, and, and, and needing to be made righteous, and we can't do that in our own strength. And now it feels like it's about to come in for a bit of a landing. So are you ready to land, land something today? Cool, one person. Thanks, sweetie. <laughs> but he's concluding, he's, he's getting into how, uh, we've talked about a lot of things. Let me cover some of them. The, the chapters that we've read reflect on the entrance of sin into the human experience, you know, with Adam and Eve, and we talked about that. Paul explains how Jesus is God's second Adam. He's, a, he's, he's became salvation for us. That's what we understand from, from the scriptures. And here we see, in, towards the end of chapter 5 that we finished last week, the wonderful coming together of faith and grace and how it all intertwines and, and, and righteousness and justification and, and how all of this points us to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that's what comes to us because of what Christ has done. We get to have our relationship with our Father, our Daddy God in heaven, restored. We don't have to, as before Jesus came and died, we don't have to go to the high priest, thank you Lord, and, and go in and get them to go into the Holy of Holies for us uh, and, and talk to God on our behalf because that relationship is now restored. When Jesus died on the cross, it's recorded that the veil was torn in two. So that, that divide is no longer there anymore. And each and every one of us, 
as children of God, when we have faith in Jesus, can now go to the Father ourselves. And so when you come to pastor and say, Pastor, can you pray for this and that? I mean, I'll pray. I'm not going to knock back praying for someone. But did you know you can too? You don't actually have to rely on, which is so good. Man, it takes the pressure off me. I can go on holiday because you guys can run the church because you guys have access to the Father. You guys have the ability to commune with him and take your, your requests and needs and things that you just need breakthrough in directly to the Father. But, you know, there's something about the unity of faith as well. So don't think I'm discounting the fact that we can all pray and pastor and all of us together and storm heaven like we've already done this morning for those two different situations. We can definitely do that as well. So it's important to understand that, that you can go to, the, to, to God, the Father, yourself, but we can go together corporately as well. So in Romans chapter 6, that's where we're landing today. Paul is making the point that righteousness is not only a matter of how God sees us through faith in Jesus. That's not the only thing. Righteousness is also something we should experience. It's something we should physically, spiritually experience. So let's see how this, what this looks like as we, as we read through the chapter. So verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 6 says this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? I love this because one of the most misconstrued things, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I probably will, uh, is that uh, if I sin more, well, there's grace, so it's all good. So I'll live a sinful life that grace may abound more. But if someone has that mindset, they've missed the boat. They've missed the point of what Jesus came to die for. Not that you could just live free and sinful and do whatever and don't worry, I'll just cover it up, mate, it's all good. No, no. When you experience Jesus and you have a complete heart transformation, we've said it a few times this morning, from the inside out, not from the outside in, because, I mean, we can dress right, we can say the right words, we can talk the talk, we can look the part. Anyone can do that. But true transformation comes by the Holy Spirit convicting our hearts and by Christ coming in and changing us from the inside out. So we've learned that God's grace is enough to justify us. We've learned that. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news Marion wants to tell every single person in Zambia. Yeah. Come on, we should all have that part too. But the question remains, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, at first it may seem like an odd question if you've had this revelation already, but it's important that Paul addresses this because this isn't his first time around the track. He's preached quite a bit, and so that's why he's touching on this. There's some misinformed people who are tempted to give up all self-control based on their misunderstanding of this scripture. And they've reasoned that since God forgave all their sins, well, the more I sin, the more God will come, and it's all good, mate. But that's the wrong approach. Uh, if, if one measure of grace was good, they figured if I can get a double portion by sinning double, well, come on. That's the wrong approach. So Paul's reply to this question, and I love it, certainly not. You don't see those words in the Bible like that very often. But what it means is it, it's actually an exclamation of the highest degree in Jewish thought. It's not shock, but it's disgust. That's what it is. So in the New King James Version, it says certainly not, but in the King James Version, the yea, thou, verily, on high version, says, God forbid, God forbid that you would think that. 
Because that's a wrong mindset, a wrong way of thinking. So this phrase, certainly not, is used when truth is being trashed. And that's what people are doing when they misinterpret this scripture. They're trashing the gospel. They're missing the point of what is trying to be said here. When Paul speaks of being dead to sin, he's expressing how powerful God's righteousness can be for those who believe and walk in it. The righteousness God grants believers is so powerful, it can keep Christians from wanting to sin. Here's the thing, when you're transformed from the inside out, your inner desires change. And so we no longer desire to sin the way we used to live before Christ. Does that make us sinless? Not at all. We are still sinful by nature, but our desire shifts. So we're going to make mistakes. That's why grace is so important. But we shouldn't lean on that to go, you know, and some people call it cheap grace. And I don't like that term, but anyway, some people call it that because they think people are abusing the grace of Jesus to live the life they want to live. But I would contend that if you've had true transformation, if you've invited Jesus into your heart, and there's been true transformation, conviction from the Holy Spirit, and you've turned and repented and churned from your old ways, that desire to do that thing goes in Jesus' name. That's when you know true transformation has come to someone's life. Let's keep going with that. There's no winning in sinning. So just stop it. All right. Verses three and four. <laughs> or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life and so what we're reading here is actually a second definition of baptism because when I say baptism most of us think Water, baptism, or Holy Spirit, baptism. But what does it mean to be baptised into Christ Jesus? You know, when we hear that word baptism, our mind gravitates to the look to the water baptism, the Holy Spirit baptism. But Paul's using the word baptism in a different way. He's using baptism as a metaphor for when one person is united with another, or, or united with people. It'd be not just one to one, but with people. So remember when God used Moses and he used his rod and he parted the Red Sea? Do you remember that? And all the Israelites got saved. Well, in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 2, Paul refers to this event by saying the Israelites were baptized into Moses. And so that's to say that they were united to Moses like never before. And you'd want to be walking through could you picture that? The ocean, the, the sea parting, and like you've seen fish and whatever going on over here, and, and lightning, and it's all happening, it's crazy, and you're you're united with Moses, because like he's the dude that just went Now God did it through him, we know that. But the natural inclination is the people that go, Whoa, <laughs> he was amazing. Well, you know, and so so they're united with him as they walk through uh, the parted sea. They recognise his leadership and, and their dependence on him. Because without him, God using him, you know, God would have found someone else. But, but the point is, is that God chose Moses. And so they're united with him and recognising him. In the same way, we are baptised into Christ Jesus. We are united 
to Jesus. The identity of Jesus inseparably is linked with our identity. When we surrender our life to him and give our heart to him, he becomes part of us and us him. And so that's what it's talking about. That's why Paul says we are baptised into his death. What he means is that we are so perfectly united to Christ when we surrender to him that his death becomes our death. Now, not physically, but I don't think anyone's dead here today. I don't know, anyone falling asleep during the preaching? But I don't think anyone's dead here today physically, but it's in the spiritual sense. So in other words, Christ's death was the death of our sin. And it was the death of our old relationship with Adam, the essence of which was sin. Because that's where we talked about last week, the first sin entered the world through Adam. It's interesting to know that although Jesus emphasised the importance of following him through his ministry, he never talked about union with himself until his crucifixion was near. So I think he knew, well I know he knew, what was coming. And that's when the encouragement came, hey, you need to be united with me, because what I'm about to go through is going to change your world. Alright, let's keep going. Verse 5, chapter 6 says this, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So in the same way that we're united with Christ and, and baptised into his death, we are united with Christ and baptised into his resurrection. So the strength of Paul's argument is in the word united. Uh, the, the Greek used this word, and I'm going to pronounce this very wrong, samphutos. You feel like some frutos? Some frutos. Everyone say some frutos. You can talk Greek, well done. It's a beautiful Greek word and it means united. Now to be united with Christ means to be planted together. That's what some frutos means, planted together with Christ. And Paul is suggesting that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that we have become one and the same plant with him. We've read the scripture, you are the vine, we are the branches. We are grafted in together. We were buried by baptism only with the intention of rising again. So we're saying goodbye to death and sin and, and the past life because it's dead and hello to the new me and embracing the newness of life as Christ was resurrected from the dead. So the formation goes like this. The man who participates in the death of Christ cannot but help to participate in his resurrection because it's the same person. So you can't choose one and not the other. You can't just... You know, believe, well, the death, but oh, there's nothing new. Well, I can't hold on to the new without experiencing the death. Because if we're grafted in with Christ, everything that he's gone through and experienced becomes our experience. Does that make sense? So it's important that we understand this so that we can embrace the whole vision and purpose of Christ's life and what he did for us. Paul illustrates the power of what he's written in chapter 11. We're going to jump ahead in Romans. So united with Christ. We're going to jump ahead. Chapter 11, verse 17, it says this. Some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them become a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. So Paul says that we're not only united with Christ in his death, but we're united with Christ in his resurrection. We too have a new life when we surrender to him. A new relationship has been born between us and Christ, and the essence of which is life. 
and life more abundant because that's what's promised to us. I've come that you might have life, John 10. 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's that voice in your ear of the old you that keeps coming back. And, I don't know, some people call him hairy legs. Crack off hairy legs. I don't want to hear that voice today. I want to hear the voice of the Lord in my ear. So we may not be completely at peace all of the time because we go through valleys and mountaintops. But we do know that God is always with us. We do know that trials have a purpose. And we do know that one day we'll enjoy the paradise of the full presence of God. That glorious hope that we have. So it's the Holy Spirit, not water, who joins a person to Christ. And I'm not belittling baptism. I love water baptisms. One of my most favourite things to be part of. But it's a public expression of your faith of what Christ has done in you. The transformation from the inside out. That's what baptism is all about. A public declaration of your faith. There's no transforming happening when you do that. That's a end result, a byproduct, a choice that you make, a thing you choose to do after the transformation. So water is an outward sign practiced as a, as a declaration of your faith. And this has been a doctrine in the church for since its inception. When adult Christians decide to be baptized, it's not a it's not a work of righteousness, but it should be their response to a God who loves them so much and was willing to take on their sin. And baptism is also an act of obedience. It's our affirmation that we have believed and want to follow in Christ's footsteps. But here's the thing: because of what God Christ did. Not because of the baptism, but what Christ did in transforming us. We are no longer slaves to sin anymore. We are now servants of Christ and we've become part of a new order. Spiritually speaking, we are in paradise because we are united with Christ. If we were to act as if we were in spiritual paradise, how different would we live our lives? That's a good challenge for all of us. You know, would would how would our lives be different if we had that revelation again? Would we worry as much as we do? Would we get angry as often as we do? Would we look to the needs of others more often? Would we be more deliberate in how we live our lives? I just think in these last days, God wants to bring an awakening, a spiritual awakening to his people to remind you of the transformation you've gone through and you don't have to be drawn in by the voice of the world to anger and disappointment and frustration and being a keyboard warrior on Facebook and, and all these things. God wants you to remember that you can worry less. You can stress less. You can not be concerned about that provision as much as you are. And just know that God's going to come through for you. Yeah, you know, I walk through the valley, valleys and mountaintops. He's with me. I'm not going to fear. All right, verses 6 and 7 says this. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Praise God. What Paul is saying in these verses, I think, could best be illustrated with a story I found. Once there was a crew of sailors, uh, 
whose captain was insane. Would you like to be on that ship? <laughs> Captain's insane. Anyway, for a long time the crew obeyed the man because insane or not, he was their captain. And that's what you do. You obey the captain. So there was only one problem. The insane captain's leadership often brought disaster. Surprised? Not really. One night the crew came very close to death because the captain led the crew into a frightening storm. On the following morning, the first mate went around to each of the men and explained they no longer needed to pay attention to the insane captain. He was now so crazy that he wouldn't know the difference anyway. So the first mate became their new captain. And the crew eventually learned to ignore the old captain when he shouted orders. Just nod your head now. Yeah, all right, mate. What do you really want to do? <laughs> they did only what their new captain commanded. And the wise leadership of the new captain brought joy and wealth to all the crew. This story illustrates what our union with Christ is like. The old captain is our old man. From whom we used to take all the orders from whom we need to no longer pay attention to, because he's insane. <laughs> the new captain is Christ, whose leadership will bring us abundant life. Paul wants the believer to see that the body of sin has truly been done away with, with what Christ has done. As Jesus' death and resurrection were historical proven facts, so the believer's death and resurrection in Christ are grounded and rooted in what is truth. Here's the thing, and here's the challenge for us. The old insane captain is still there, isn't he? Old heretics. Bringing up your past, bringing up your talking nonsense. He's the voice of the world. He's trying to get you drawn into all the agendas of the world, the stuff that's going on. But there's a new captain. And I really felt God put on my heart when I was preparing this message that people are going to have a revelation of the new captain again. That there's a new voice. There's, your body is now under new management. You've been listening to old hairy legs for too long thinking that he's the boss. But he's gone insane. And you need to quieten that voice. Stop listening. Make a, make a conscious choice. I'm not listening to that voice anymore. I'm now listening to the voice of my new captain. His name is Jesus. Because when you do that, and you might say, oh, yeah, I've done that. But see, I just think there are people in the room that, that think they've done that, but old Harry Lee still has a whisper. And it gets in you. It gets in you. And it wrecks you. And it ruins you. But people are going to be set free. You know, there are people in the room, people online, wherever you are, are going to be set free when you have a revelation that there's a new captain. And there's a new voice, and it supersedes the old voice. And you don't need to listen to that voice anymore. You know, sometimes it takes a lot to convince ourselves that we are freed from sin. After all, sin is still evident because we are born into sin. And this is why faith is so very important. Paul tells us that faith in our freedom from sin must come first, then we will see the results, and not the other way around. Some of us are trying and struggling and striving to be good and do the right thing and make good choices and, and not sin, and then I'll have faith. Because once I achieve that, I know I've made it. But God works up, upside down, opposite way, different, different kind of kingdom that we're part of. And he wants you to just have faith now, even though you haven't made it yet, because we never make it. 
Old hairy legs is always going to be there, but we get better and stronger at shutting out his voice yes. the more we rely and lean on our faith yes. in Jesus yes. Christ. Yes. It's not the way God set, has set things up. He says to have faith and the rest will come. Yes. Right, I'm going to finish with this. Verses 8 to 10. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So, so, so knowing... Oh, there it is there. Sorry about that. Knowing is half the battle. Knowing is half the battle. Here Paul begins to use a series of three active verbs. I'm only going to touch one today. And next time we look at this, we'll touch on the other two and continue on. But we can think of them as three steps to overcome sin. The first verb is to know. Paul says that knowing Jesus rose from the dead, he cannot die again, and therefore death has no mastery over him. And this is the first step in overcoming sin, knowing that Christ died to sin and lives for God. That's the first step overcoming sin to know I honestly feel that there are people in the room today that need to be reminded of how to know the new captain's voice how to know that that is the voice that rules and reigns in your life and old hairy legs the insane captain doesn't get a say anymore and I just think some people are going to be set free from the controlling insane captain today in Jesus name do you believe that do you have faith for that Anyone under the sound of my voice, someone might be watching this later down the track, you're going to be set free from the old captain, the old voice, the old way of living, and you're going to have a revelation that I have a new life in Christ, and chains are going to be broken in Jesus' name. Let's have a look at the screen as we come to a close today.